Take your Bibles and open those to the Gospel of Luke chapter 9. Luke chapter 9, in a moment, we're going to pick up in verse 7 of that. As you're turning there, uh, we are in the midst of a series called Meals with Jesus, What We Learn at the Table. Uh, As you look through Luke's Gospel, you see a recurring theme that Jesus is either on his way to a meal, at a meal, or leaving a meal. As I said last week, that's much like my life. And... When we read through Luke's gospel, what we find is this rhythm helps us to see Jesus, to hear from Jesus, and to interact with Jesus, and to see the way that Jesus interacts with other people. Uh, when we're in Luke seven, or rather Luke nine, verse seven, won't you read with me as it says this? Herod the Tetrarch heard about everything that was going on. He was perplexed because some said that John had been raised from the dead. And that Elijah had appeared. Others, that one of the ancient prophets had risen. I I beheaded John, Herod said. But who is this I hear such things about? And he wanted to see him. Verse 10. When the apostles returned, they reported to Jesus all the ways they had, all that they had done. He took them along and withdrew privately to a town called Bethsaida. When the crowds found out, they followed him. He welcomed them, spoke to them about the kingdom of God, and he healed those who needed healing late in the day. The twelve approached him and said to him, Send the crowd away so that they can go into the surrounding villages and countryside so they can find food and lodging because we are in a deserted place here. You give them something to eat, Jesus told them. You give them something to eat. We have no more than five loaves and two fish, they said. Unless we go and buy food for all these people, for about 5,000 men were there. And then he told his disciples, have them sit down in groups of about 50 each. They did what he said and had them all sit down. Then he took the five loaves and the two fish and he looked up to the heavens. He blessed and broke them. He kept giving them to the disciples to set before the crowd. Everyone ate and everyone was filled. They picked up 12 baskets of leftover pieces. While he was praying in private, and his disciples were with him, he asked them, Who do these crowds say that I am? And they answered, Well, John the Baptist, and then others, they say Elijah, and still others, the one that one of the prophets of old has come back. But you, who do you say that I am? And Peter answered, You are God's Messiah. For years I had a subscription to a magazine called Entertainment Weekly. Uh, They, kids, magazines were these paperback things that we would read. They gave us information before our phone did. And... This was sent to my home every week. Otherwise, they would call it entertainment something else. And they've now shifted to entertainment monthly, where they only update their website regularly. But when the magazine would come, I would always read the cover story, because the cover story was whatever the central article was. And I remember getting a magazine from Entertainment Weekly. That's how I receive it from the postman. And... The title of the article, the main article, was The 25 
most controversial movies in history. And as I read through the list, three of these movies were directly related to the person of Jesus. Now, if you're a guessing person, you may have an idea as to what they are. But if you're not going to guess, or you just are not sure if you're even listening right now, those three movies were The Passion of the Christ, from Mel Gibson in 2004, a movie called The Last Temptation of the Christ, and another movie that was a musical from the 70s called Jesus Christ Superstar. On top of that, five other movies on this list of 25 most controversial movies in history were indirectly related to the spiritual realm, in some way tied to Jesus, the Da Vinci Code being one of them. And as I read through this list, I kept asking a question that all of us should really ask from time to time if we're going to live in the way that God intends and consider to be the people God would have us to be. What is the great controversy about the person of Jesus? What is it about Jesus that has divided history, literally? What is it about Jesus that separates families? What is it about Jesus that has called some of you, even in this room, to walk away from parents, in a sense, from friendships, in a sense? What is it about Jesus that calls us to say, I need to live for Him and not live for other things? What is the grand controversy about Jesus? Jesus has come doing Jesus' things when we meet with him in Luke chapter 9. And because of this, Herod is incredibly frustrated. He is frustrated because Herod is the king. But in actuality, he's not really the king because the Jewish people were under subservience to another nation and that nation was called... Thank you. I have one history teacher in the room and they have contributed greatly to my sermon. They were subservient to Rome. They have a guy named Herod who happens to be their king. The Bible used the word tetrarch. It's more like a sheriff. But he believed himself to be the king because they let him call himself the king. He believed that he was the king of the Jewish people. But this is a Herod who killed babies at the birth of Jesus. This is another Herod. This is his son. And Herod is this puppet king who has no real power. His father, as I said earlier, had killed little babies. And we have his son here. And his son is this terrible person who hated John the Baptist because John the Baptist called him out for his sin. When John the Baptist called him out for his sin, he imprisoned him. When he was in, while John was in prison, there's a day where Herod throws a party where he asks his niece to dance for him. Weird party. And she looks at him at one point and she said, when he says to her among all of his buddies, you tell me what you want and I will give it to you. And his response is, her response was, I would like to have the head of John the Baptist. Because Herod's sin was tied to her and her mother. So John is beheaded. We pick up in verse 7. We see that uh, we have a question presented. So if you're a note taker, you've noticed on the back of our worship guide, we've got a little a shift there. On one side, you'll have the announcements for the month of September uh, or October, if it's not September. On the other side, there's just a place for you to take notes if you are someone who likes to do things like that. So our three points for today, we find, our, one, a question presented. A question presented. Secondly, we, see, we will see... A question presented is number one. A meal prepared and an answer provided. One more time for those in the back. A question presented, a meal prepared, and an answer provided. 
The question presented from Herod in relation to who this Jesus is and in regard to all that Jesus is doing and will do is, who is this person? They're telling me that he is John the Baptist, but I beheaded John. They're telling me that he's Elijah, but he can't be Elijah. They're telling me that he's one of the prophets of old. So you have this situation where Herod is looking to Jesus and the reason that he would like to interact with Jesus is not incredibly healthy for Jesus in regard to their situation. Because Herod had had John beheaded because John was pointing to a Messiah. If Jesus is Elijah, so the Jewish people have this idea of Elijah returning. There's actually a Seder meal where they set a table, a chair for Elijah because Elijah was taken into heaven. And the belief, according to Jewish history and Jewish custom, is that when Elijah returns, that, the, that God is going to provide his Messiah. That's the notion that we see here running through history. And that's why, John the, or that's why Herod would mention the very idea of this. Some say that he's Elijah. Well, if Jesus is Elijah, we have a major problem if you're Herod. Or some say that he's one of the prophets of the old. Promise. So what we see as we walk through the scriptures is this. We have a prophet of old, which means that Moses was a promised prophet. And that we were told in the scriptures that at the day Messiah comes for us, that there will be a prophet who is like him. So as you look through the story, looking at Jesus, thinking on Jesus, considering Jesus, he is saying, if this Jesus is who they are claiming that he is, if he is going to do what they're saying to me that he will do, if he is all that these people seem to be believing that he will be, he's the king. And if he's the king, that means that I'm not. If he's the promised one, that means that my reign and my rule are over. If Jesus is king, then everything that I do doesn't matter anymore. Let's just chase that for a moment. If Jesus is king, that means that you are not. If Jesus is Lord, that means that you are not. If Jesus reigns, that means that you do not. If Jesus rules, that means that we do not. If Jesus is, in fact, who he says that he is, that means that for every one of us, we cannot be those things. Because we have the notion, as we walk through the Bible, seeing that Jesus, as the Savior of the world, comes with a cost for any of us. Take up your cross, Jesus will eventually say. I don't know when we chose to make Christianity pop Christianity, popular Christianity. And the idea by that being this, at some point we chose that we could have, we believed that we could have Jesus without any of the restrictions that come with following Jesus. The idea was presented to us at some point that we could have a Savior but that, didn't, that he was not, in fact, our Lord. The question that Herod is posing here, as he considers who Jesus is and why Jesus is that, is one that every heart in this room should wrestle with. 
If you are a believer in Jesus, that means that you don't simply have a Savior because if you have a Savior in Jesus, you have a Lord. And if you are in this room and you've never placed your faith in the person of Jesus, hear me say this as Jesus communicates his incredible love and overwhelming grace to you, know this, he will call you to take up your cross and follow him. There is transformation that comes when we interact with the person of Jesus. So is transformation showing in the way that you interact with the person of Jesus. Do your lives, does my life look different because of who Jesus happens to be? Because of what the Bible tells me about this person? Because when you get a Savior, you receive a Lord. You cannot divorce the two, no matter how hard we try. So Jesus here. And the question that Herod is posing about Jesus is one that every one of us have to pose to ourselves every time we consider all that the Bible teaches. If Jesus is God... That ultimately means that I am not, no matter how much my heart tells me that I am. A question presented. You notice this passage then transitions to a situation that we don't necessarily think of when we think of Herod. When we move through Luke's gospel, though, Luke is intending to use meals and to use situations to show us, in effect, who Jesus is in full. And he uses this conversation where Herod thinks through these various things. Elijah, John the Baptist, a prophet of old. And when we see Jesus in in Luke chapter 9, we meet and we see that he is going to not only say who he is, he's going to show who he is. Because in Luke chapter 9, we see one of the stories that give us an account of the feeding of 5,000. A provision of a meal. This week at the Po home, we had a situation take place um, in the midst of the street flooding. My kids were outside on the day when it stopped raining because that's when you send them outside. Am I right, people? It has stopped raining. You go outside. I don't care what you do. Draw, draw chalk art around one another. I don't care. Or just go out there and, and be there and not in here for a little while. I was uh, doing some communicator training at, out of town, and I find out that my children have adopted... A turtle. A turtle they found on the street. So they have picked up a street turtle. And this street turtle they decide to name Tex. Tex the street turtle. That's who's living in our home. So you think that a turtle won't be hard work. What do they do? Nothing except ninja stuff. And we look at this turtle, and we begin to Google about the turtle, and we find out so many things about turtles that are overwhelming. Right? Have you ever researched turtles? They're horrible animals. We start reading about turtles, and we find that that turtles, turtles in a shell, they carry salmonella. I've never even seen a turtle with a raw chicken. I don't know how that happens. So, we're having conversations with the kids about rehoming the turtle. We feel like he would be in a better place if he were able to be around other turtles and spend time with other turtles. That's better. Two options. One, we can drop him in the creek in our neighborhood. Or, we can take him to Shy Pond and give him a proper turtle rehoming. Introduce him to large turtles, small turtles, all the turtles that are in the Shy Pond area. When we get to Shy Pond, we have the turtle in a red solo cup. 
and we are walking toward the pond when Shepherd notices a sign that says, Aggressive geese, nesting season. My wife, in her hand, is holding fish food because that's what turtles like because they like to confuse people. And as we're walking toward this, the geese did not smell the fish food. Know that people like you and me come and feed them from time to time. And when we get close, these geese, eight to ten geese, immediately come to interact with us. And we're looking at the geese, and the geese are looking at us. They then begin to follow Hope and the boys. And they are not just following them like, what's up? What are these people going to do? They are following violently because they believe that we're going to feed fish. And as they are pursuing my wife and my children, there's a point where she says, do something. I did not know what I was supposed to do other than write this down so I could tell you about it today. Hope's holding the fish food in her hand. I have a four-year-old at home, if you're a guest with us. My four-year-old was mortified. He never, ever wants a pet or a goose. He's not going to eat chicken. He's a vegan. He was standing there scared to death. My little girl standing there scared to death. My wife, she's always the hero. She is an incredible hero. She looks at the boys as they are circled, encircled at this point by around 30 geese. They're just running toward them quacking and hissing and whatever geese do she tells the boys I will distract them so you, you take off running and put the, put the turtle in the pond the boys take off through a sloshy mud puddle red solo cup in hand while Hope is throwing fish food at the geese however they think the boys have something too because they're not smart geese and they begin to chase both boys Shepherd falls down, he's covered in mud we had to make him ride home in nothing but shorts Hope as I'm watching she moves from throwing food to the geese to standing on top of a picnic table at this point there are 60 to 70 waterfowl surrounding my wife on this table because she is making it rain fish food left and right she's spinning it around and I'm thinking to myself this is going to be the best sermon illustration ever I cannot wait to preach tomorrow praise be the Lord she gets in the <laughs> there's a point she's on this table and she runs out of fish food and I I'm going to have to leave her I see her take off her sandals, leap over four geese, and take off sprinting through the sloshy chipon grass. The boys are in the car. The kids are still, older still crying over this. Provision, feeding, aggressive following. We see that in the story of the Jesus of feeding of the 5,000. We see Jesus providing for people. And as he provides for them, in John's account, we're reminded that they want more of his provision. Very much like these geese. In our story today, we see Jesus providing for these people. But his provision for them is set up incredibly different when we look at Luke's gospel. Because in Luke's gospel, what we see is that Jesus is going to do something. In verses 10 through 17, that bridge the text... Because the difference in Herod's question in Luke, 7, Luke 9 verse 9 and Peter's answer that comes in verse 20 is a party in the wilderness. Go with me. Luke chapter 9 verse 10. When the apostles returned, 
they reported to Jesus all that they had done. And he took them along and they withdrew privately to a town called Bethsaida. So they're out in the country, in the wilderness. They're out in Columbia or Brazoria. When the crowds found him out, they followed him. Jesus has been doing Jesus things. Healing, teaching, preaching. And these people love him. He welcomed them. He spoke to them about the kingdom of God. And he healed those who needed healing. Verse 12. Late in the day. So Jesus has been preaching. He's been teaching. He's been healing. And the day has gotten away from everyone except Jesus. But the disciples have heard him preach before. They, in a sense, they take him for granted. And when they get to Jesus after watching him preach, teach, and heal, it's the middle of the day. They have an idea for Jesus. Now, they didn't just come to this on their own. It's not like any of them were ever brave. The disciples were not brave people in the in this portion of the life of Jesus. If they were ninjas, they did not have nunchucks. That's where we are with the disciples. When we meet with them in this passage, we are seeing them try to convince Jesus to do something that's, that's different. So they're having a little chit-chat because it's late in the day. The Bible points out what time it is for a reason. He's been preaching. You know how you get bored with preachers? Don't shake your head, yes? Late in the day, Jesus has been preaching. The disciples are having a conversation as to how to shut this thing down because they know that it's late in the day. These people have to go somewhere to, to be. They need to go somewhere to eat. They're having a chit-chat. Jesus, they, they decide that one of them is going to go talk to Jesus about their situation. In my head, I think it's Thomas. Thomas goes up to Jesus. Jesus, this is awesome. Because that's how people lead into complaints, by telling you how awesome everything is. Jesus, this is awesome. But Peter says that everybody else is getting bored. I highly doubt it, but I just want you to know what Peter's thinking. Some of the guys, not me, some of them, they think that everyone here is starving. They think that everyone is going, they need something. But So that's great. But if we realize what's really being said, Jesus, the day has gotten away from us. These people are hungry. These people are tired. And we don't have those answers. And you don't either. Let's send them somewhere that does. That is Christianity in 2019. Jesus, these people are hungry, and they're tired, and they're bored. We don't believe that we have answers. Let's send them somewhere that does. Jesus, there's nothing around for us to eat. There's nothing around for them to eat. You're the only one that they're even listening to. So Jesus, just shut this whole party down so they can be on their way and we can be on our way and we can have had our nice little religious experience, but we're going to go about our business where we're not having to do this. 20,000 people, 25,000 people standing around. 
And Jesus looks at them in verse 13. You give them something to eat. Imagine you're Thomas. You've just had this conversation with Jesus. Jesus, I, I, I let in for everybody else. I'm going to go report to them what you told me. Thomas goes back to the rest of the disciples. He told us that we need to feed them. And all of them are like, what? What, what, what are we going to feed them? There's nothing. We don't have anything. We're supposed to feed them? So they come back to Jesus. We've got no more than five loaves and two fish. I'll be truthful with you. I've preached this passage multiple times. And I get those numbers flipped every time. Unless we go and we buy food for all of these people. For about 5,000 men were there. Gee, I got, you give them something to eat. Blunt of Jesus. You provide for them. You care for them. You do for them what needs to be done. So Jesus says, have them sit down in groups of about 50 each. I don't know what's harder, feeding 20,000 people or organizing 20,000 people. We did a dodgeball tournament last week with 100 kids. It's insane. They did what he said and had them all sit down. Then he took the five loaves and he took the two fish and looked up to heaven. He blessed and he broke them. And he kept giving them to the disciples to set before the crowd. I've never noticed what we just read in this passage. Jesus had the bread... And he had the fish, and he's breaking and giving, breaking and giving. And as he gives to the disciples, they're feeding this crowd. And as they're feeding the crowd, what is being provided for the crowd is growing and multiplying because they are taking steps that need to be taken even though what they have does not seem as if it will last. Friends, let's just be honest. How often in our lives does God's provision for us not feel like it's going to last? How often do we feel that we're at the end of our rope, at the, at the time just to shut this entire mess down? And God's provision carries us into another day. God's provision moves us into a, a, a better season or maybe a more difficult season where His provision does not cease to be there. And the disciples are slowly, methodically walking about giving food to everyone who needs to be fed to the point where they feed all 20,000 people and have 12 baskets left to take home in doggy bags. But I love this text because as you read it, Jesus is pointing out as they provide for the disciples exactly what he points out to every one of us who claim to follow him. This starts with Jesus saying to them, you give them something to eat, to which they reply, we don't have anything. But as they take slow, small steps of obedience... They are giving people what they need. Now keep this in mind, friends. The one who provides what they need is Jesus... But who gives them the food? The disciples. They do what Jesus told them to do because they trusted that Jesus, even in that doubting moment, that Jesus would do all of the work. 
Think about everything that you're nervous about that Jesus expects you to do. Do you not think if you're walking to twenty to 25,000 people with just what's in your hands, that that's going to be overwhelming? They're doing what Jesus directs them to do, and as they did so, Jesus provided what was needed. Are examples of this in Scripture? Of Jesus providing what we need to do what He's told us to do? Are there examples in your life of Jesus providing what you need in order for you to do what He's directed you as a follower of Jesus to do? A Savior is a Lord. There is no way to divorce the two no matter how much modernity tries to. Jesus provides and they deliver. Are you doing that? Taking Jesus' provision and carrying it to those who are in need. Think about the things that Jesus has said to them that He says to us in effect. Care for those in need. How many of you believe... We're going to interact with me. How many of you believe that we as Christian people should care for those who are in need? Anybody? Hand up. I, why? I, I'm speaking on behalf of Jesus because I'm not a Messiah. I cared for you. You, therefore, care for them. Because I've given you what you need to do so. Well, let's just think about this one. Share your faith. Look, I just want to be completely upfront with you. As a body of believers... It is incredibly important that we, as God's people, share of how good our God happens to be with people who don't know Him. So let me ask you a question with that in mind. When is the last time that you interacted with a lost person who did not happen to live in your house? When is the last time you had a conversation with someone about the fact that you believe that Jesus is the hope of the world? Jesus provides for us to do what He's told us to do. I gave faith to you. That's Ephesians, not me. So give it to them. But Jesus, what if they don't respond? I didn't ask what they were going to do with what you offered. I asked you, I actually told you to do what I've told you to do. Is your heart burdened for the lost people in your life? For those who don't know Jesus, those who are far from Jesus, those who are de church because we deal with that a lot where we live. We are in southeast Texas. I don't know if you realize people here think they're Christians. Everyone thinks they're Christians and no one knows where they go to church. Well, what if they don't respond? Look, the disciples couldn't make someone take the bread and the fish. What if we shared our faith? What if we walked toward the need of those who we come in contact with and said, he's, he's worth it. He's going to give you interactions. Like that's a, something we love to say. 
We, we love to pray things that make no sense in the grand scheme of things. I'm going to be honest. We, we pray things like, Lord, could you just put somebody in my path? What path are you walking down where no one's there? What steps are you taking where you don't interact with people? Lord, just put somebody in my path. That is a trite way for us to ignore what God's called us to do. A meal prepared. And Jesus allows the disciples to be part of distributing and delivering that. And he has called every one of us to be part of that. Are we going to? Deliver what God has given us to those who need it. Finally, an answer provided. Verses 18 through 20. 18 through 20. While he was praying in private and his disciples were with him, he asked them, Who do the crowds say that I am? So these crowds are made up of a few different people, but I'll give you the major groups. The Pharisees, they were interested in God's provision. But they believed for God to provide, they had to provide. The Pharisees believed that for the Messiah to come, we have to provide law, structure, and order. The Herodians believed, they're named after King Herod. Follow, follow that. For Messiah to come, we have to provide, a, in essence, just going with the flow. The Essenes were overly religious group. And they believe that for Messiah to come, we have to provide separation of ourselves from the world in which we live. So they would go out into the desert and have these weird spiritual experiences. The zealots believe for the Messiah to come, we have to provide violence. That's what we need. And none of them got Jesus because they did not understand that provision does not start with them. It starts with him. They answer, well, some say that you're John the Baptist, Jesus. Remember, Herod said, well, is John? Some think you're John. Others think you're Elijah. Still others believe that you're one of the ancient prophets who has come back. But notice that Jesus was not interested in being any of those things. He's actually the fulfillment, the completion of all of those. John the Baptist pointed to the Messiah, and Jesus pointed to the Messiah like John did. However, Jesus did not point out there. Jesus pointed right here. He was pointing to himself. That's why John would say that Jesus is greater. Elijah, that's a really popular name in the Bible, and honestly... in 2019. But Elijah had a person who followed him named Elisha. And Elisha fed 100 men with 20 loaves. It's a huge story in the Old Testament. And the people believe and trust that Elisha was the new Elijah. Jesus provided bread like the new Elijah, but his provision was more spectacular because of the quantity of it. In the same way that Jesus provided bread like Moses. Manna from heaven. Like think chicken minis. Can't get them today. But it was even more spectacular. Because it came from him. They could actually see him doing this. The answer 
to Herod's question is not separated from the meal. It's in the meal that Jesus just gave. So some say you're this and some say you're that and some think you're this guy. Jesus, this is what everybody thinks. But what about you, you guys who just watched me? You guys who just saw me. You guys who just spent time with me. You guys who saw me feed all of these people when you were saying I didn't have what they needed. And Peter said to him, You are God's Messiah. If you have an ESV, it reads, You are the Christ. You are the one that we have been waiting for. Pastor Scott Sauls, he's a Presbyterian. I wouldn't let him near my babies, but I love the stuff he writes. He says this, Jesus did not come to be our example. And we love that, it's popular. Jesus is such a good example. Watch Jesus be Jesus. Jesus did not come to be our example. He came to be our rescue. Without his rescue, his example will crush us. You are the Christ. You are the one. You are God's salvation. You are the one the Old Testament alludes to. You are the one that every one of these names mentioned points to. You are hope itself. Another prophet says in the the book of Isaiah, as it talks about the promised one, on this mountain, the Lord of armies will prepare for all the peoples a feast of choice meat, a feast with aged wine, prime cuts of choice meat, fine vintage wine. On this mountain he will destroy the burial shroud, the shroud over all the peoples, the sheet covering all the nations. He will destroy death forever. The Lord God will wipe away tears from every single face and remove his people's disgrace from the whole earth for the Lord has spoken on that day it will be said look this is our God we have waited for him and he has saved us this is the Lord we have waited for him let us rejoice and be glad in his salvation God the ultimate provider because he pays the price the answer to all of these questions comes not in the example of Jesus, but what he provides in order for us to receive that example. He takes the entire weight of our sin upon himself. Look, I mentioned my kids earlier. We don't go to lots of fancy restaurants. The first question you ask if you have kids is, is do they serve enough food for me to share this between these two people or four? Can they share a four-piece nugget? Well, there are four of them, Chad. That's okay. Two fries, that's cool. Drink lots of water. So I don't go to super fancy restaurants a lot, but I started reading about super fancy restaurants. And when they hand you a menu at a super fancy restaurant, not all the menus have prices. Now, I know the crew here. I know what happens when the menu doesn't have a price. They don't have a you, so you leave. That's what I do. Wait, there are no prices. This must be a bazillion dollars. But they hand out the menus to the crowd and eight people at the table. But there is one menu that has a price. The menu that has a price just goes to one person. 
Because that's the person who's going to pay the bill. They're distributed to everyone at the table, but no one can see what anything costs. It is sub, so subconsciously the person who's ordering off the menu. Think of how valuable and extravagant that meal may be. But the person who gets the bill, the, worst, the person who gets the bill is different. Because everyone can look and see that this place is fancy. That we're not at Chili's where they microwave your chicken. We all know the meal is expensive. But there is one person who carries the cost of it. Friends, Jesus' provision is costly. We can all look and see that there is a cost to this. This extravagant, overwhelming, abundant grace. That has to cost something. But there is only one who has carried the weight of that cost. And that is this Savior who is the answer that everyone's been looking for. He is the answer to the question that Herod asks. And he shows that when he gives a meal. And shows it much more so when he provides himself. That our hope is in him. That our death died with him. That our next life comes because of him. That he, Jesus, Savior of the world, is our only hope. But when you eat that meal, you you leave and you talk about how fancy the place was. I think that's where this may detach from us. Because it seems like there's a bit of a struggle with much of Christianity in 2019 with doing more with Jesus than taking him for granted? What if we shared the goodness of God and his love and mercy toward us? When the opportunities arise, what if we sought after them? Trusting his provision to say what needs to be said, to be what we need to be, to do what we need to do because our God is good and our God changes lives. So here's what I want to have us do this morning. I want us to bow our heads. If you're a believer in this room, can you just start asking God to give you His heart for lost people and that you would trust in what He has provided for you to give them? trust that the hope that he offers us is secure and extends beyond trite religious gatherings where we would say that we don't really have what people need. You do as a follower of Jesus. You do. Even now, praying that if there are those in the room who have never trusted Christ that they would see him as the answer because if he's not the answer they don't have one that will work they do not have one that will comfort them those who do not have Jesus don't have an answer that comforts when life is hard they don't have an answer when We go through difficult things. 
Like losing loved ones and, and divorce and hardship and all that is difficult about this life. Do we have that answer and are we willing to provide it? That Jesus is securing us because he's a hope that's alive. So we are going to sing because that's what we do at this point in the service. But I, I just wrestle with this. And if you're not a believer in the room and you would like to talk to me about what it means to follow Jesus, I will be in the back corner. My right hand, your left hand side, please come talk to me. If you've never placed your faith in Christ, if that's not your thing, connect with us to that site that I gave earlier. Let us set up a time with you to share how good our Jesus is. That He's the answer that God has provided for you to have hope. Lord, burden our hearts over what burdens you. Lord, let us see lost people as valuable because, Lord, you view them as valuable. That's why you let us know things are lost. Jesus, let us see you for who you are. We ask this in your holy, life-giving, life-changing name.